Okay, hey, good morning. My name's Brian. It's great to be with you in whatever capacity you'd call this is. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've been answering this question that Jesus asked his audience. He asked the question of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And we've kind of summarized that question of by asking how valuable is a man? And we've looked at it two ways so far. We looked at the idea of human dignity, that God had made man in his image, that he created us in his likeness, that every race and tribe and tongue and nation, all of humanity is precious to God, the unborn and the elderly, all life is valuable, that God has, because of man being made in his image, God has made murder wrong and requiring justice. Uh, God has esteemed humans valuable and distinct and different from animals and the rest of creation. We then looked at this deeper idea about man, uh, where Jesus asked the question, what good is it if a man would gain the entire world and forfeit his soul? that somehow the human soul is worth much more than the totality of all creation, that God considers our eternity to be of greater significance than our momentary lives on this earth. And so today I'm going to read a statement for you that is uh, slightly edited and out of context. But nonetheless, I want us to consider how could someone come to this conclusion if they believed the other two things that I just said. And so here we are. Acts 20, verse 22. I do not account life of any value nor as precious. And so you might think like, well, all right, Acts, it's, you know, about church growing and encountering, you know, different cultures and cities all around. Maybe this is something that a, a Roman governor is saying there where they esteem life of having no significance and their willingness to send someone to death over no reason at all. But no, this is actually written by an apostle. And you might think, well, how could someone looking at scripture ever conclude such a thing as this, right? How could someone be so fickle with someone that's been made in the image of God? How could they deem life so insignificant? How could they contradict the entire thrust of scripture? How could they say that? about a human being. We get a little bit more clarity when I give you the context in which he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. And so when we fill in the blanks, yes, we get a little bit more clarity, but we might still be like, well, why would they think that about themselves? Do they somehow have nothing to lose? Do they, are they depressed? Are they, are they in a place of brokenness? Have they no longer thought rightly about who God is and how he treasures them? Are they someone who needs encouragement? Should they be reminded that God had been attentive in forming them in their mother's womb? Do they need to be reminded that God knows the very number of each hair on their head or that they're worth many sparrows? Do they need to know how necessary and valued they are in the body of Christ that they bring gifts that their brothers and sisters would be lacking without them being present? Do they need to know that Jesus is the good shepherd who left the 99 in pursuit of them? 
that if they were the only one, he would have come to die for them. They need to know that Jesus loves them, and he gave himself for them. And the answer is no. This person, Paul, knows all of these things, and yet still makes this claim. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. And that feels so contradictory to everything we've said so far about human life and human dignity. But let's see the context. Verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so he indicates, yes, right, we know that human life is precious, but he says that compared to the gospel going forth, compared to this good news that needs to be proclaimed to the rest of humanity, he says, I count my life as nothing compared to the significance of that occurring, that I finish my mission, that I'm successful in telling other people about this hope they have in Jesus. That, that he's saying that human life, yes, is precious, but it should be spent in pursuit of the lost, in loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And sharing the gospel is the most loving thing that we can do for those in the world around us that we should live our lives in pursuit of the lost. Just as Jesus was willing to leave the 99 for the one, we too need to value others in the same way. We, if, when we spend uh, our lives inviting them, other humans, into eternity and salvation, like we are treasuring their souls in the same way that Jesus told us to. Right? Our desire is for them to gain eternal life. And Paul concludes that his temporary life being lost in the process of others hearing this good news and experiencing salvation is a worthy exchange. And he considers his life nothing in, in, the, in compared to the weight of, of someone coming to know and trust in Jesus. He says, if only I may finish my course to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is what Paul valued much more than his life. The thing he concluded was that his life had no value when compared with other people hearing the gospel. In the next chapter, uh, Luke is writing this, and the others with him traveling with Paul they reflect and say, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, saying, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And so they realized, even though, right, they valued Paul's life more than he valued it in his own right, that they were like, well, nonetheless, I, I think he's being led by the Lord. Let God's will be done. 
even if that means Paul being imprisoned, even if that means our good friend experiencing death on this earth. Let the will of the Lord be done. And although, yes, we as believers, right, we hopefully would like to think that, that yeah, I'd be willing to die for Jesus, for my faith, for what he's done for me, uh, for an opportunity to share this hope with other people. Hopefully we would think that. And although we are, as believers and many before us, are willing to die for the Lord, uh, to bring good to this world, it doesn't mean that God treats our lives as something that can just be thrown out or wasted. That, that if we die for the sake of the gospel, that is still something that is treasured by God. All right, He's not looking at human life as something that's incredibly expendable. Everything else we've said so far in this, this look at the value of human life is still true. And I want to point out, here's uh, Psalm 116, verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so God doesn't look at the death of, of a, the Apostle Paul or Stephen or other believers as something that's worthless. He doesn't look at their lives and their deaths as something that's insignificant and meaningless to him. No, God deems it precious when they would experience something like that. That God is pleased by faith and faith is on display when someone is willing to die for Jesus. Right? God himself was willing to come into the world and be killed by the hands of wicked men. But he did it, that, that doesn't mean he considered the life of Jesus to somehow be worthless or meaningless. No, he considered those wicked men worth dying for. He considered experiencing the first death worth rescuing those who would then be able to avoid the second death. That's what Jesus considered a worthy pursuit. And Paul likewise came to that same conclusion. <clears throat> and here's... Here's a passage from Romans chapter 8, which is kind of interesting, especially when we consider the question of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so when you, when you think about this, right, combining it with what Jesus said of how much more value is a man than a sheep, right, like you might think like, well, we're much more valuable than that. Jesus concluded that. The, the scriptures indicate that fully, that we are very precious to God. And yet what's interesting here is that God allows his own people to experience suffering, persecution, even famine and death in this way. And while we may be disregarded by the world or those in authority, we are treasured by the Lord who loves us. And this is what then Paul reminds the church in Rome. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so Paul is saying that even though we may face all of these things, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us. And it doesn't mean that God somehow doesn't love us. No, God loves you tremendously. God values your life tremendously. God cares about your soul even more than those things. And God's willing to allow servants of God, his saints, to experience persecution, suffering, and death. And through all of those things, it's not as though we are disconnected from God's love, that we are still valued and treasured by him. And in those moments, in a moment like that, being able to endure suffering, entrusting our lives to the one who judges justly, when we're able to experience death and persecution, uh, when we were innocent for the sake of the name of Jesus, that God is in fact glorified by that, that that is an act of, of worship. It's something that's pleasing to God and something that we would receive a crown and reward for all of eternity because of our obedience, because of our faithfulness to the Lord. In fact, when uh, Jesus was talking to Peter, this is after uh, Jesus has been resurrected, and this is in the moment when Jesus is restoring Peter back into re relationship with him, when, when he's reconciling with Peter over the fact that Peter had denied him three times, uh, Jesus ends up telling him this, which is like terrible news in many ways. Uh, this is John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he's describing, as John reflects, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so Jesus informs Peter of the fact that Peter's going to die a martyr's death. This is going to be hard, right? That Peter would die at the hands of wicked men, just like Jesus did. And nonetheless, he's saying that in this moment, or John reflecting on this, is saying that Jesus is telling him this, and that this death, even though perhaps frightening, even though difficult to endure, would be something that God would be glorified by. That this would be the ultimate praise and worship, the culmination of Peter's life, is, is this worshipful event towards God, something in which God is pleased and glorified by. That, that it's not as though God ignores the death of a saint. No, it's valuable and precious to him. He loves that individual, and he is pleased and glorified in their faithfulness even to the end. And what's interesting here is that Jesus, believing that Peter would die because of following Jesus, still said, follow me. He's basically saying that I am worth dying for, that Jesus is worth this level of devotion, that Jesus is worthy of a death that brings him glory. This is something that's worth seeking after. But what's interesting, right, is, and even Paul was saying it earlier, as we're thinking about this idea of, of spending our earthly lives and, and experiencing even death to glorify God, that Paul linked it to this idea of for the sake of the gospel, right? There's, there's this twofold kind of concept that in one way, it's worship of God, of, of Jesus. It's for the sake of Christ that we're willing to do this. 
but he also connects it to the love of neighbor. It's for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of other people coming to know him. And I want to justify that claim and that logic because you might be like, my death and suffering, I don't think they're worth that to me. Like my life is precious. I'm made in the image of God. But consider this, right? Jesus had said, and we read it last week, that the human soul is worth more than the totality of all creation, right? That the human soul is worth more than human life. And Jesus himself was willing to give his life in order to redeem men then we too should live our lives, be willing to spend our lives inviting others to experience eternity with Jesus. If a person's soul is worth so much more than all of the world, then we should in some ways be willing to seek their salvation no matter the cost, even if that means our, our death, even if that means our persecution and suffering. Right? And so like when we think rightly, when we think the way that God and Jesus thought about people and their souls and their eternity, we too would be willing to spend our lives and experience death to give them the opportunity to know him. And you might be like, Brian, I, I don't think I'm there. And you know what? As I'm hearing this, as I'm reading the scriptures and I know that this is true, I know there's a huge gap between what the Bible says is true and right and what should be done and where my life is, right? Like I am not there either, but this is truth and this needs to hone and sharpen us. This needs to prune away the things in us that are unfruitful. We need to make sure that we are valuing the things that God values, that we are treasuring the things that are truly treasure and worthy of our pursuit. And Paul was one who was willing to seek the salvation of others, people from all over the globe. He was willing to, to do it at a great cost to himself, and likewise should we. And so here's 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. Paul says this, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means... I might save some. And then what, why is he willing to do that? He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Okay, and so Paul is willing to relate to people, to connect with people in order to reach them, is what he's saying. He's willing to surrender even some of his freedom, some of his liberty, in order to bring them this good news in order to reach them where they're at. And so he's talking about uh, reaching the Jew and the Greek prior to the verses that I shared with you. And so he's willing to give up his freedom of diet, where he knows he doesn't have to eat according to kosher rules, but he's like, hey, if I'm reaching a Jewish community, I'm going to eat kosher. I'm going to give up some of my liberty in order that I could reach these individuals. Because me having that freedom is less important than, than them knowing Jesus. And he deems them worthy of that pursuit. He knows that the greater treasure isn't the fact that he gets to eat ham. The greater treasure is that he knows Jesus and he wants to share with them in that blessing. He wants to share with them for all of eternity, like having relationship with God and with them. 
that's what treasure he brings to them and considers them worthy of. And so he's willing to give up some of his freedom out of love and, and out of seeking and pursuing others for them to know Jesus. And so what, what, what about this phrase, uh, by all means? Let's see, I'll bounce back, right? That by all means I might save some. What does by all means mean? Is there a limit to that? Does that literally mean just do whatever it takes? Doesn't mean that we should sin. Okay, it doesn't mean that we should somehow, right, uh, maybe date a non-believer to try to win them to Jesus, right? We don't surrender our own convictions in attempting to bring someone to the Lord. That the means and the motives by which we do this still matters, okay? Uh, it doesn't mean that we should be willing to deceive or lie to someone, or that we should proclaim some sort of false miracle in order to try to get them to follow Jesus. That's deceptive. That's wrong. Okay, so we're not willing to do that. It doesn't mean that we should be willing to agree with lies that they believe in order to be liked by them. Right? We don't want to see them enslaved by sin, and so we shouldn't, uh, for the sake of their momentary approval, celebrate the sin that they're enslaved to. Right? The gospel is still going to be offensive. We still need to preach the truth. It's through the law that the knowledge of sin is made apparent to us, and then our need for forgiveness, our need for a savior, is then made evident. Okay, and so like we don't give up the truth in order to reach people. Okay, what it does mean is that we should be willing to give of our time and our energy and our resources in pursuit of the salvation of other people. Right, just like Jesus described being willing to leave the 99 to save the one, or that his life and ministry and, and pursuit was to seek and save the lost, that our lives should somehow be described by that, that we should prioritize this good news going forth to other people more than we do about living life for ourselves, okay? So let's, let's see, Paul continues. He says, uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, okay? So he's indicating that the way you live your life on this earth matters. The way you live your life since becoming a follower of Jesus still matters. There is a prize and reward that you will experience eternally on the basis of what you do since you've become a follower of Jesus. That it's not merely about praying a prayer, okay? But we should actually now live a life following Jesus with, with effort and energy, right? With diligence, just as a runner who is trying to win and not just like, I'm just here for participation. I'm just happy to be here. No, no, no. Like we need to run as though it matters because it does. It, it matters. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. And so Paul is now talking not just about the fact that he's willing to die for someone, right? Willing to die to, for the sake of bringing the gospel to them. But he's also going to be diligent in the way that he leads his life on the earth. 
He's going to be disciplined. He's going, he's not just going to run aimlessly and just be like, I don't know, what do I feel like doing today? No, no, no. He's going to run with purpose. He's going to exercise self-control because if someone's willing to do it for fame and glory on the earth from other people, how much more should he be willing to do it for the glory of God? How much more should he be willing to do it in order to please his Savior who was willing to give his life for him? And so Paul says, uh, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so our lives on this earth are perishable. They're finite. They're fleeting. They're fading away. They're like grass that's been cut. Okay, it's like a vapor that's going to dissipate. Our lives are brief. But the things that we do in this life matters. That we can spend this life, although temporary and brief, and yes, still valued. Humans are made in the image of God. But we can spend our lives and our deaths in such a way that we receive a greater reward in heaven. Okay, I'm not talking about earning salvation. That's not what this is describing. Okay, but what I am saying is that the way we live in light of what Jesus has done matters. That we don't just aimlessly live life. We do so with purpose and intent, being led by the Spirit, being uh, directed by God's commands in his scriptures. We need to be willing to let him instruct our lives and not just trust him with our eternity much later. And so... What we need to start is to think about not just the idea of, of how we die, but how do we live? We're going to see some of the passages today kind of bring that up. And this is, this is the first place, that the way I live my life matters. Okay, Whether I live a life that is holy and righteous unto God or in pursuit of that righteousness matters. Okay, Paul is saying that it's possible that he could preach to others, but with an undisciplined life, a, a body without self-control, that he could be disqualified. That it's possible to bring shame on God's kingdom, on God's word, in the sight of others if we live less than what God has commanded and called us to. That those things matter. All right, It isn't a matter of being merely disqualified in their sight, but in God's sight that matters okay because they'll still mock and make fun of christians for the moral standard that we try to live by as we obey jesus right but that's not what matters it's not about being disqualified in their eyes because even the pharisees looked down on jesus right they deemed him to be a blasphemer they considered him disqualified from ministry and and worthy of death okay and so it's not a matter of trying to please people but it's trying to, to live a life consistent with the Lord that we claim to follow. Right? This is the idea that when we proclaim this message, we don't want noise to interrupt the signal. We don't want our lives to contradict the message. That this message of hope is the only means by which people can be saved. And we must live, live humbly. We must speak the truth in love and genuinely love the person as we're trying to lead them to the Lord, we must repent when we stumble. And we must ensure that this message reaches other people with fidelity. That my flesh isn't somehow getting in the way of Jesus reaching them. And so Paul says, right, 
by all means that I might save some. But now, is there a limit to that? Like, what, what does that look like? Should we throw all of our resources and time and energy towards the salvation of a single person? Is their soul, if, sorry, if their soul is as valuable as I've said, worth more than all of the world, then shouldn't we be willing to seek them with all of our effort and energy and never stop? Well, the answer is actually no. And I want to justify that claim, right? And I think uh, it's unlikely that many of us are, are erring on the side of being so ridiculously diligent in our pursuit of the salvation of one person uh, that we're messing up on that end. I'm failing way on the other end of the spectrum where I know that my life does not, uh, is not accurately described as being a life that is seeking to save the lost. All right, that's where I'm failing. All right, we're, we're likely not going too far. We're likely not doing enough. Okay, but there is nonetheless a limit that I think we should consider. And this is uh, from Jesus, Matthew 7, 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. And so Jesus is saying, at some point when engaged in encountering a particular person, your efforts are no longer being fruitful. You're wasting something that is treasured and holy. Okay? Or in Matthew 10:14 when he's sending out his disciples <clears throat> and he says, "And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and you will leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment." for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And so what Jesus is saying is that there are there's a point in which our efforts to reach one individual, that in that moment, it would be fruitless and we should move on. For that moment. Okay, it doesn't mean that we give up on them. Although Jesus knows the end result and their future judgment, we don't. And so this isn't a forever surrender, it's a momentary one. Okay, uh, when Stephen was martyred in the book of Acts, uh, his preaching longer and harder wasn't going to somehow win the Apostle Paul over to Christianity in that moment, right? That no matter what he was going to do, it wasn't going to change Paul's heart. Paul approved of the death and imprisonment of Christians at that time. Yet, I'm certain that Stephen's testimony, Stephen's death, still probably was something clunking around in the back of Paul's mind when he did finally come to repentance, when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that it probably had an influence on the way that he lived and his willingness to die for the sake of the gospel. And Paul, once he was converted, he didn't, he, he didn't just spend forever trying to reach one individual. Yes, the Bible says in Acts that he would spend all day trying to reason with people in the marketplace. Like he would work hard to remove the stumbling blocks and the hindrances that were between individuals and Jesus. But Paul eventually, when he felt his efforts were saturated in a city or when he was led by the Holy Spirit elsewhere, he would move on. Right? He would go to a different city where there would be easier fruit to harvest, right? Easier people to bring into the kingdom. He's like, okay, I'm going to keep praying for this community, praying for these people, but I'm going to move on for now. Okay. And so that's something to consider. 
all right, that eventually he moved on and, and he even would still cycle back on many of his journeys. He would revisit the people that he'd led to the Lord. He'd encourage them with the scriptures and teach them the truth and write letters to them. And still more would come to follow Jesus. But there's a time in which you realize right now isn't being effective anymore. And it's okay in that moment to move on. All right, some harvests are going to take time. We are going to need to invest in people for the long term and the short term. We want to plant seed and we want to water the word of God in people's hearts. And other times, right, we walk away, we pray for them, and God is the one to bring the increase. Or God brings someone else to minister to them in the right season and the right time. Right, And so we should continue to pray for the lost. We should declare good news for, to the lost, but recognize like, okay, there's a time or a moment where I need to be willing to redirect my efforts elsewhere. So, so here's this idea. So we've talked about, okay, uh, the soul of a person is worth more uh, than all of the earth and seeking to save someone is worth all of this effort, all of these these energies being poured out towards this, this one cause. And, and here's this other idea that's kind of interesting about the significance that God places on declaring the truth of proclaiming this message of hope to other people. And I'm going to give you both a, an Old Testament and a New Testament example. All right. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the idea of, of murder as being wrong because people are made in the image of God. And even if you look back to the, the story of Cain and Abel in uh, Genesis 4, right, as when Abel is murdered, God says that his blood was crying out from the ground for justice. And then once again with, with Noah, and he says, right, if someone takes the life of a man by man, their, their life will be taken from them. And so there's this need for justice when someone murders another individual made in the image of God. And, but think about this, God cares about the second death more than he cares about the first. And so God, just as he ascribed a degree of blood guilt on someone who murders someone who, who brought about their first death, he's also ascribing a great degree of responsibility on those who are supposed to be rescuing those from the second death. And so here's this passage from Ezekiel uh, chapter three. So this is Old Testament. This is God speaking to this prophet. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Okay, and so God's commanding this prophet to speak. And he's saying, you need to speak. Even if they're not going to receive it, you have been commanded to proclaim this message, to give them a warning. He says, if the wicked, uh, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. Okay, and so notice once again the motive here in inviting people to rescue, uh, to be rescued by Jesus, to repent of their sins. It isn't so that we feel self-righteous and good. Our desire is to save them, to see their lives saved. Okay, that's, that's the hope. That's the motive. Uh, so that uh, if you do not warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And so what Jesus is saying, or, or uh, well, God speaking in the Old Testament to Ezekiel is that the failure to warn a person brings about a degree of blood guilt 
on us, okay? So that they're so valuable in God's sight that our being obedient to warn them and invite them to repentance, if we fail to do that, we are guilty to a degree. And that doesn't mean that you're condemned to hell. It just means you failed to obey God in this very serious way. Paul hearkens back to this in the New Testament. Actually, we already read from Acts chapter 20. Uh, here's verse 25. Paul said this, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Right? And so he's saying, like, I'm not ever going to see my friends in Ephesus anymore. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so Paul implies that there would be guilt, that there would be sin in us if we fail to proclaim the kingdom of God and God's entire counsel, his entire scriptures. Okay, and, and yes, it is weightier on him <clears throat> as an apostle, as someone who teaches, right? But he's saying that uh, if he did not preach the gospel, that he would have had a degree of blood on his hands, that their human value and soul was so much that he would have taken on guilt on himself if he did not attempt to warn them or to proclaim this message of hope and good news. Okay, and so this is this is significant and for the rest of us. Like we're, an, I'm not an apostle, to a lesser degree, but it's still true. Our neighbors are made in the image of God. Their souls are worth more than all of creation, and they are deserving and worthy of our pursuit of them and inviting them to know Jesus. Right? They are they're deserving of that, and God is is expecting us to follow through with that command. Unfortunately, we're not on our own, right? God's equipping us. God's foreordained all of the good works for us to walk in. His spirit is with us the whole time, bringing to remembrance the word that we would speak it in that right moment, right? But God, God loves people. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God loves the church. And, and Jesus, he himself had said, right, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. These people's souls are worth infinitely times more than that and we need to be willing to deem our brothers who are trapped in a pit as being worthy of our attempting to rescue them right and this is this is heavy this is hard this is something that i know i fail at as i get distracted in living life for myself so often but our neighbors god loves them and god calls us to love them and they are worthy of pursuing and so uh, we must be willing to glorify God in, in inviting other people to know Jesus. We must be willing to glorify God, not just in our willingness to die, but also in what we say, in our obeying the command that God gives us to seek to save the lost. Here's another idea. Romans 14, verse 8. Paul, once again speaking. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And so he's indicating that, yes, Jesus is worthy of our dying. That if we die, we're glorifying God in our death. But he's also worthy of our living for him. Our living a life obedient to him. 
Okay, yes, your life, my life is valuable and precious. My death is precious to the Lord. Your death is precious to the Lord. And Jesus is worthy of my life and my death. All right, that's what is being spoken here, that, that whether we live or we die, we are still the Lord's. There's actually uh, not just this uh, concept of, of him being worthy of these things, but also this idea that we don't need to lose hope, that even if we experience suffering or, or death, we're still the Lord's. And if we live, we're still the Lord's, okay? That we should live this life unto him because we belong to him, right? And so we should glorify God, not just with our death, but also with our lives. We should be willing to glorify him in this way. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, uh, oh, I'm going to skip that one. Verse 19, <coughs> he says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Okay, and so we are the Lord's. Similar idea. We've been, right, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Right, and so we've already talked about the idea of, of uh, John reminiscing about what Jesus said to Peter, that he described the death by which he would glorify God. That God is glorified by a death of, of, of a believer that is faithful in proclaiming Jesus to the end. Okay, that's something that glorifies God. But if, if we're willing to glorify God in our death, we also should be willing to glorify him in this lifetime on this earth that that if I'm willing to die for Jesus I also should be willing to live a life holy unto Jesus recognizing that my body is is not my own I'm supposed to use this body to glorify God whether by death or even just by living a life righteous empowered by his spirit is something that that he is deserving of okay you were bought with a price right Jesus shed his blood for you you're valuable you're precious in that way but you were not bought so that you could glorify yourself right we're not meant to live this life for ourselves you were you've been called to freedom my brothers but do not use that freedom to indulge the flesh that's uh, galatians i think five right we should be willing to surrender our lives for the sake of honoring god and living a life that's holy unto him if if i'm willing to part with this life experiencing death, then I should also be willing to part with sin for the sake of honoring God, right? Paul had already said that if we live an undisciplined life, a life without self-control, that we could become disqualified. And so we need to honor God in this way too. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, and so, once again, we glorify God in everything that we do, all right? <laughs> whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're living, whether we're dying, whether we're pro proclaiming the gospel, whatever it is, this precious life that God has given us, Jesus is the only one that is worthy of it. That he, living a life in pursuit of, of Jesus, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, is what our lives are meant to be spent doing, to glorify God in all of our pursuits, okay? Uh, and so verse 32, so 
uh, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And so we shouldn't go out of our way to offend people, right? Uh, we should avoid unnecessary offense. But at the same time, we've already talked about, like, we can't water down the truth, right? We can't lie to people. We can't deceive people. But we need to consider their souls as being more worthy than us getting our own way. That we should attempt to please everyone to a capacity while prioritizing pleasing the Lord first. Okay, and so this is different than trying to be a, a pleaser of men, which the Bible criticizes, right? We're not trying to be popular. We're not trying to get society or the world to like us, right? Our aim is to please the Lord, but I'm willing to surrender my preferences for the sake of reaching someone else, right? Are, are you willing to surrender the glory that comes from man or surrender having your own way in order to reach other people? Okay, uh, here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> and so here's Paul once again talking, and he's going to pull together all of these themes that we've been talking about. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Okay, and so once again, he's so focused on Jesus being proclaimed to the world. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that full courage, now as, in, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so even though human life is precious, Paul is someone made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, filled with dignity and value. But yet, Paul is willing to give his life, to live his life or to give his life in order to bring honor to Jesus. That Jesus is worthy and deserving of this honor. He's worthy of all of our lives. He says this, if I am to live uh, in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And so when Paul's thinking about like, if I could continue to live, he's not thinking about, uh, right, more exciting experiences in his life. He's not thinking about, oh, I get to visit more restaurants or I get to travel or have entertainment or more opportunities for sin. He's not thinking about, okay, I can maybe, you know, knock off some more things on my bucket list. Right? That's not what Paul is excited about life for. The thing that he thinks is valuable in this life is that we can have more fruitful labor. That he can live a life producing something meaningful for the sake of God's kingdom. That's going to have an eternal and imperishable effect in this world for the for the sake of the lives and the souls of other people right that's what he's excited about he's like if i stay on this earth if god chooses to let me live another day this is what i'm going to do with that day i'm going to be fruitful in my efforts i'm going to work hard as unto the lord 
He says, verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, is to depart and be with Christ. Right? Like being with Jesus for eternity would be awesome, right? Paul wouldn't have to experience suffering anymore. He says, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so Paul is interested in spending what remains of his life in caring for and serving the church. Right? The church that Jesus died for, the church that Jesus loves. Paul's like, if I remain, it's for your benefit, and I'm going to love and serve the people that Jesus loved and served. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And right, so he's excited about... I get If I get to be with you again, right, you're going to praise God. I'm going to praise God. We're going to be excited. We're going to bear fruit for God's kingdom together. And now he pulls in this other idea of not just about dying for the Lord or serving the church, but he talks about the way you live, right, having a disciplined life. Verse 27, only, and now he's describing it to them, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul is worried not just about, are they willing to die for Jesus? Are they willing to live for Jesus? But the, the manner of life, the way they conduct themselves, are they living holy as under the Lord? Are they living a life that's consistent with the message that they proclaim? Right? Live a life that's holy because Jesus is holy. And that's what he's telling them to do. Jesus is worthy of our death. Jesus is worthy of our life. And Jesus is worthy of our aiming to please him and living righteous before him and our obeying the things that he commands. Verse 28, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And so even if you're under threat, glorify God in the way that you respond. 29, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, right? You've been called to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you to that experience. Believe in Jesus. But he says that you also have been called to suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Okay, and so Christians, even though their lives are precious, to the Lord, they will experience a degree of suffering, persecution in this life, and possibly even be called to die for Jesus. And that's precious, that's valuable, that's worthy. God is pleased by faith, but we shouldn't merely believe in Jesus. We should be willing to suffer for Jesus. And so here's another way that he summarizes it. 2 Corinthians 5. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home, okay, as in in eternity with Jesus, notice where Paul perceives of home, right? It's not on this earth. It's not the little kingdom that he's built for himself. The home is with Jesus. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, right? That Jesus is worthy of a life lived him. And so, 
Here's the last couple verses that I want to read, and this is from Jesus. And this is linked to the, the same time when he was talking about the value of the human soul, in which he had said the phrase, right, of what good is it a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? This is what he says right before that in Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so what's interesting is if we attempt to preserve our life, maintain our comfort, live for our pleasure in priority over following Jesus, we will lose what life is really about. Okay, that, that Jesus is worthy of denying ourselves for denying the things that we would pursue, that we would desire, even some of our dreams, right? Surrendering those in worship and in bringing glory to Jesus, that he is deserving and worthy of those things. So don't seek to live this life to, to satisfy your own desires, okay? Seek to deny yourself and follow Jesus, okay? If you live, follow him and deny yourself. Okay, and right, Jesus is worth losing our life for, both in terms of we should be willing to lose our life in terms of death. Okay, be be willing to die for Jesus, but also be willing to completely lose everything that you thought life was about, in order to experience and receive that which is truly life. Right, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Let your life. Be a living sacrifice as unto Jesus. And this verse is hard, right? It might sound like Jesus is trying to rob you. It might sound that he's the one that's trying to steal and kill and destroy. It's like, why is Jesus wanting me to carry a cross? Why is Jesus wanting me to lose what my life is all about? Right? It might sound like he's the one that's trying to, to take away good things from you. Remember, Jesus, we read it last week, he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That when we live our lives following Jesus, denying ourselves, losing our lives, we receive true and abundant life. And he's worthy of all of it. Your life is precious. You're made in the image of God. And Jesus gave his life for you that you could be with him forever starting now, right? Jesus is the one who deserves our lives being lived as unto him in worship, right? We should glorify God in death, glorify God in life, glorify God in our bodies, that everything we do, whether we live or we die, we aim to please him. And so this is what we, we thought about today in conclusion, right? Is that, yes, we're valuable made in the image of God. The human soul is worth more than all the earth, all of its treasure combined. And because our neighbors have souls, they are worthy of us surrendering everything in order to reach for the sake of the kingdom of God. We should be even be willing to surrender our own momentary life that they could experience eternal life that we should be willing to live a holy life, a godly life, 
because Jesus is worthy of that very thing. And our neighbors should be able to see in us a life that is consistent with the message that we proclaim. Jesus is worthy and they are worthy. They are worth seeking to save. They are the one and we should be willing to leave the comfort of the fold at times in order to seek the one. Okay, we need to be willing to leave the 99 to try to reach other people for the sake of the gospel. And as I read these verses, as I think through these things, as I read about denying myself and living a life unto Jesus and being willing to experience suffering and persecution or death, I don't know about you guys, but I see how much I fail to do those things. And we could all comfort each other and just be like, no, you're doing great, right? Like, we're all doing great. We're loving God awesome. But we need to recognize what the scriptures call us to. We need to realize the heritage that you and I have as believers, that this is something that the church has gone through and experienced and endured and have lived out faithfully before the Lord for generations, and we must likewise continue. We can't be a people who are caught up in the cares of this world. We can't be a people building a kingdom for ourselves. We can't be merely seeking after our own desires. We need to aim to please God in every way and be willing to give up this short, brief, momentary life and live it for the Lord and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to, in the ways that we serve Jesus, to also then love our neighbors as ourselves. They're worthy of that. That is the value of a man. He's worth more than a sheep. He's worth pursuing and inviting into God's kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it challenges us, God. I, I, I repent this morning of, of any disobedience, any failure in me, in my life, to, to obey, to pursue, to seek you to this level. Lord, we repent in any way that we fail to reach out and love our neighbors in the way that gr most greatly matters. Lord, we acknowledge that we often live for ourselves and for our own selfishness. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would empower your church. Give us gifts that we would use them to build up your church. Lord, give us opportunities to reach the lost in this community. Help us to, to pour our energy and our strength and our time and our resources towards finding those that you love and gave your life for. Lord, help us to authentically love people, to be willing to offend but to not go out of our way to do so. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to pray for our neighbors, for our valley, for our community. Help us to share with them this tremendous treasure that you've gifted us with. Lord, help us not to waste our lives on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We we'll love you guys. Take care.